I have a hard time editing. Uh, one of the reasons that I love relationship with you guys, and specifically with Brian, is that Brian Mowry helps me edit. Has he ever helped you edit? It sounds something like this. Why are you doing that? I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't, you know? Has he ever done that with you? Or, huh, why'd you say that? I don't know, just what came to mind. Oh, maybe you shouldn't say that. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I won't say that. I love my relationship with Brian. He helps me edit. It's also really uh, difficult to decide what you're going to speak on when you're invited to speak at someone's church. I have a hard time deciding what should I talk about. I'm not going to lie, the first place my mind goes is, uh, what's the best sermon I preached last year? These people don't have to listen to me week in and week out, so I know I'll get my best sermon from last year and I'll re-preach that. But when I dig down into that train of thought, I realize that my desire is to look good and to be impressive. So I denounce that as unspiritual and then I move on to something much more spiritual which is, what does Jubilee need? Where's Jubilee at? What does Jubilee need? What do the people that come to Jubilee uh, need? And the problem is, is that that doesn't help me edit either. That doesn't help me decide what I want to speak on either. Because if you're anything like me, you need a bunch of things. Like, I need a lot of things. Like, I need a sermon on prayer every week. I need to hear that one about not messing up your kids every week. What's that one sermon, that one about not how to not mess up my kids? I need that one. Again, I forgot it. And and well, that one starts with not messing up your marriage. Yeah, I need that one too. That sermon sounds uh, great. I always need to be reminded of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That when he said from the cross it is finished, he meant it. It's done. And of course, we're going to do things, but we're going to do them from the place of understanding that it's done. From his doneness, we're going to do things. We're going to work from this place of rest. And I always need to be reminded of this. And I've never once walked away from a sermon on forgiveness and thought, I'm good. I got this. Oh yeah, forgiveness, I already did that. Or I learned that. Or I'm on top of that. I've never on top of that. So thinking about what I need, thinking about what you need doesn't help me uh, decide. And so since I'm troubled, since we're troubled, since we're so needy, and since I struggle to edit, I want to talk about the one thing that I believe can affect everything. Since everything needs a little something, I want to talk about the one thing that I believe can have an impact on everything. I I want to talk about faith and the impact that faith has on everything. The way it affects my attitude, the way it affects outcomes, the difference that it makes. Because it's like, I don't want to just pray. I don't want to just pray more. I want to pray with faith. 
I want to pray with a confident expectation that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he'll do. That's the type of, I don't just want more prayer. I want more faith in my prayers. I don't just want to read the Bible more. I want to open my Bible with faith that again, God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do. That's what I want. I want to go to, I want to, go to work. No, I don't just want to go to work. I want to go to work with faith. I want to go home with faith. As I think about what Jesus has done when he said it is finished, I want to put my faith in that. I want to rest in that. So it's not just that I want more of these things. I want more faith in all of these things. You know, because you've probably, or maybe you've been to church before, but I'm just recognizing that I'm in a season right now where every area of my life could use a fresh dose of faith. That I would want this one thing to touch everything. I would want it to touch my calendar. I don't want to look at my time through the eyes of scarcity. But I want to look at it with faith, knowing that God's able. And we're, we're called, as Jesus followers, we're called to live by faith. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. We're told that without faith, this is wild, without faith it's impossible to please God. We're told that whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever is not of faith is missing the mark. Everything has to have this faith factor in it for us. We're told to fight the good fight of faith. It'd be a little easier if it was just to fight a good fight. We all know how to do that. But it's fight the good fight of faith. And all of a sudden it's like, what, what does that look like? And how do we do that? We're told to keep the faith. And of course, I want to be built up in my most holy faith. And so my desire this morning is that you would be built up in your most holy faith that you would not throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. No doubt, if you've been in church for any period of time, you've also heard this definition of faith. It comes from Hebrews chapter 11. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And it's interesting that faith is contrasted not with unbelief, but with sight. That faith is contrasted with sight. And we learn a lot about faith by looking at the life of Abraham, who is for us the father of our faith. And you can read his story in Genesis chapter 12. But the big idea is this, that Abraham gets promises from God. God promises him that he will inherit a land and that he will father nations. And so Abraham responds and says, all right, what should I do? To be this type of blessing to the nations, what do I do? To inherit the land, what do I do? And God says, go. Fair enough. If I'm going to inherit land, makes sense that I would have to go. Where are we going? Go to the land I will show you. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not an address. That's like nothing I can punch into my GPS. 
my wife's a bit of a planner, God, and this isn't going to work for me to just say, no, no, you tell your wife, you go to the land that I will show you. Uh, John Calvin summarizes Abraham's call in Genesis 12 like this. God says to Abraham, close your eyes and take my hand. God says to Abraham, close your eyes and take my hand. And many of us will never get to know God or see his purposes fulfilled in our lives because we're unwilling to do this. We're unwilling to close our eyes. And take his hand. And I personally, again, am in a season where I believe God's inviting me to close my eyes and take his hand so that I can get to know him. Not just, you know, saying this is, well, this is who others believe God to be, but experiencing his character and also seeing his purposes fulfilled in my own life. Faith is not just having hopes. Faith is not just, well, I've got some hopes. I've got some desires. Faith is having confidence in what we hope for. It's not just having a hope, but it's having confidence in what we hope for. It's having assurance that there is something more going on than what we can see. No, I have, I have assurance. It's not, well, there might be something else going on here. It's that there's an assurance that there's something going on that we cannot see. And our enemy is always looking to steal our confidence through accusation. Where we begin to question, begin to question God's character. Always stealing our confidence through accusation. Accusation starts to wear and chip away at our confidence to where we still have the same hopes. We still say the same things, but we don't say them with the same confidence. We don't say them with the same assurance because the accusation towards us, towards others, towards God starts to erode our confidence. And again, I I want you not to don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. But there are other things that chip away at our confidence Other things that make it hard to be resolute, right? Not just to have hopes, everyone has hopes, but to be confident in those hopes. Not just to believe that there might be something going on, you know, more than what we can see, but to have assurance, no, God is working in ways that I cannot see right now. There's other things that make it hard to be resolute. Other things that make it hard to be firm. Not just accusation that makes it difficult to be steadfast or undaunted. Here's a few reasons that it's hard for me to remain confident. One reason is that I've failed. I have failed. This isn't my first rodeo. I've attempted things before. I've been resolute before. I've made New Year's resolutions before. And I've failed. I've stepped out to say, this is what's going to be. This is what I desire. This is what I've hoped for. And I've been confident and I've been disappointed. I have failed. And failing has a way of eroding and chipping away at our confidence. I'm a Cubs fan. I know. I know. It's so nice to be in such a judgmental church. 
I think I've even shared that here before. I'm glad this is a safe place to be honest. I'm a Cubs fan, and things are looking up for us, and you know about this. We are favored to win the World Series this year. I watched the season opener, and I, I mean, I, ju- I just didn't even see where the out was at in the lineup. The team is incredible. The team is stacked. We've spent loads of money. Am I excited? Yes. Am I confident? Absolutely not. I'm a Cubs fan. We've been here before, and we've failed before. And it has a way. I still have hopes. I still have desires, but I've got no confidence in that hope because we've been there, and we've failed before. Our own repeated failures have chipped away at our confidence, have they not? And there's good news. There's good news for those who have failed. For those who you feel like my confidence has been, it's just been picked at, at, chipped away at through my own failure. There's good news for you here this morning. And the good news is that you can do it. The good news is that you should try harder. The good news is that you, you should believe in yourself. That's actually not the good news. That's not good news at all. I love the way that Paul puts it in the first few chapters of Philippians. The Apostle Paul, who has good reasons to boast, says, I put no confidence in the flesh. That's not where I'm banking. That's, that's not where I'm going to trust is in my own ability. I put no confident, confidence in the flesh. And then he says, this is the good news, that you can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I put no confidence in my own ability to pull this off. I put no confidence in my flesh. The good news is this. He, Jesus, who began this good work, will be faithful to complete it. And for those of you who have failed, you need to remind yourself of this. You need to stir yourself up in the most holy faith. Not faith that you can do it. Not faith that you can pull it off. Not faith that third time's the charm. Not faith to believe in yourself. Faith that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. He'll finish what he started. This is good news for us. Peter, who's kind of this forever example of failure uh, for us. He is uh, Jesus's right-hand man, kind of second-in-command type of guy, until he deserts and denies Jesus three times. And this real interesting thing happens, because before Peter deserts and denies, uh, Jesus says, oh, hey, uh, hey, Peter, I was talking to uh, Satan, and you came up. (laughs) It's like, wait, you were talking to who? And why did my name come up? I was talking to Satan, and you came up, Pete, but don't worry. Oh, really? Because I'm worried that you're talking to the devil, and I came up. Don't worry. Uh, He asked for permission to sift you, and I told him that'd be all right. He's like, don't worry. You told the devil he could sift me. Yeah, don't worry. I prayed for you. Oh, great. 
I'm glad. I prayed for you, Pete, that your faith would not fail. It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't pray, I prayed for you, Pete, that you wouldn't fail. No, he says, I prayed for you, Pete, that when you fail, your faith wouldn't fail. That when you fail, you wouldn't throw away your confidence. That God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he'll do. I prayed for your faith. Jesus knows how to pray. He's not going to pray for Pete not to fail. He's going to pray for Pete's faith. I pray that your faith wouldn't fail even when you fail. You wouldn't throw away your confidence or your assurance. There's another reason it's difficult to uh, be confident. And I've recognized this in my own life. But when there is injury, it breeds reluctance and timidity. And there are many here who have extended themselves in faith. That you do feel like genuinely you've risked in business. You've risked in relationship. You've risked in this church. You've put yourself out there and you've extended yourself and you've been hurt. And when we've been injured, there's a reluctance and a timidity that comes and it chips away at our confidence. I broke my foot on December 4th at my daughter's 10th birthday. We went to uh, Skywalk, which is like a warehouse full of trampolines. It looks like the set of American Ninja Warrior. There's like foam pits and different things. And um, I'm, I'm a father of five girls who's like looking for some outlets, you know? <laughs> I don't want to play house. I don't want to dress up. I want to do something, you know? I don't want to pee sitting down. I want to do something, you know? So we go to Skywalk, and, and we get up on what is the highest uh, platform. It's probably six to eight feet up, and you jump into a foam pit. And my girls are scared, and so a line has formed, and I'm trying to shoo them off the edge. And this little boy, who I don't know, what, I don't have boys, I don't know what to do with boys, but this little boy that is not mine scurries up and he cuts in line, you know? And I'm like, hey, bro, back of the line, you know? And, uh, and then I start feeling ah, bad, you know, like, am I that crotchety old guy yelling at the kids for having fun, you know? Is that who I am? No, it's not who I am. I'm a Jesus follower. So I turn around and I'm like, hey, buddy, you jump off this high one? And he goes, yeah, I can do a backflip off this high one. And I say, I can do a backflip off this high one. So my girls jump. Uh, he jumps. He does his backflip. And then I do my uh, backflip into a foam pit that's probably three feet deep. And so I go straight through the foam. And I hit the bottom like this. And then all of my weight comes down on my heel and tacos the top of my foot. So four of the five metatarsals, I think they're called, broke. And, uh, and then I struggled. You know, he scurried off having completed <laughs> his backflip. And then I just stayed down. <laughs> and when I finally emerged, because it's difficult to emerge from a foam pit on one leg. When I finally get my foot out of the foam, all I hear from my wife is, oh, babe. And I look down and I know that I didn't sprain 
my ankle. So I am headed to ER, and I am not hurt. I am upset. I am really angry. I'm punching the car door, thinking about how much time this is going to take and how much money it's going to cost. And I'm also making some vows inside. Has this ever happened to you when you get hurt? I'm sitting there and I'm saying, what are you thinking? What do you think? I will never do this again. I will never do this again. What are you thinking? You're 35. You're 35. You're not backflip guy anymore. You're, I've got five kids guy. And you should have been sitting on the sidelines with all the other five kids guys. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Do you know how long this is going to take? Do you know how much this is going to cost? I am never do. I'm just vowing inside. And listen, this is not about a foot or a foam pit. Because every one of us, when we get injured, starts to do this. Every one of us, when we get injured, starts to decide, I will never do that again. I will never do that again. This is who I am. This is who I'm not. This is who they are. We start making all these vows. I swear to you, I will never be caught. Jumping off of this into that again. We vow and we vow and we make these promises. Well, the next morning I woke up and uh, I didn't get up. I just woke up. I couldn't get up. I woke up and I was just staring out the window. And again, I was, I was, so, I was just hating on myself. Just hating on myself. Just seized with regret. And my wife walks in. She peeks her head in. It's probably 9 a.m., And I'm still just laying there. And she comes in and she says, I love you for this. And I'm like, what? And she's like, I love you for this. I love that you're a backflipping dad. I love that you're a backflipping pastor. I love that you're a backflipping follower of Jesus. Don't ever stop doing backflips. And I just broke because I was vowing in my injury that I would never risk like this again. I would never extend myself. And her words confronted me. And I want these words from Hebrews to confront you. That you would hear the word of the Lord. Because faith comes from hearing. Hearing from his word. And not just reading it, but hearing it. Do you know that there's a difference between reading it and hearing it? Because there's a lots of voices going on when we get injured. And faith comes when we hear from his word. And I want this to be the loudest voice. Like my wife's voice was the loudest voice and cut in. I want the word of God to cut in. Because believe me, there are plenty of other voices and conversations going on. Including visitors who would remind me, you're 35. You're not backflip guy anymore. What were you doing? You know, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. All kinds of voices going on for those who have been injured. Hear the word of the Lord. This is an exhortation to a church that has said yes to Jesus and is now facing persecution. The book of Hebrews is written to encourage a church that has said we're in and is now facing some trouble. Not martyrdom, but persecution. And here's the exhortation that comes to that church. And I believe it's an exhortation that's coming to this church. Don't throw away your confidence, those of you who have been injured. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. 
You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. The author is saying, we don't be- the family that we're a part of doesn't shrink back. I know you've been injured. I know it's brought on reluctance and timidity, but we're not a part of a family that shrinks back. We're not a part of a family that shrinks back and tries to save their own butts. But we're of those who believe and have faith and are saved by Him. We're not going to be caught trying to save ourselves because we've been hurt before. We're going to trust Him to save us. That's the part of the, this is the family we're a part of. In this family, we don't shrink back. I know that there's reluctance. I know that there's timidity. I know that you've suffered real injury. I'm not saying it's not. But some of us here are still limping along like I'm limping along. You were injured in your early 30s. And you're still limping along. And it's bred reluctance and timidity. And now a life of complaint and a victim mentality because complaint is just justifying your resignation. This is why I don't do that type of stuff anymore. I'm sorry about your injury, but shrinking back is not an option. If you try to save your life by playing it safe, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for his sake in the gospel, you'll find it. Listen, if I thought that sitting on the sidelines was a good way to avoid pain, I would probably tell you to do it. But my experience is that avoiding pain is a little like avoiding gravity. Good freaking luck with that. Whether I'm sitting on the sidelines or whether I'm jumping from the platform, I'm experiencing pain. Settling, resigning in an attempt to avoid pain just hasn't worked for me. Has it worked for you? Settling resigning has it worked are you successfully avoiding pain if so maybe you should pray for us at the end of this service it doesn't work i've tried it's no way to avoid pain but it will keep us from really living really engaging do not throw away your confidence it will be not it might be Not it probably, it will be rewarded. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be rewarded. For some of us, we've lost our confidence, not just in our own status or in our own ability, which is easy to lose confidence in, but for some of us, because of the circumstances we've faced, we've actually lost confidence in God's goodness. It's not just about our status and standing. We've lost confidence in God's goodness And we've lost confidence in his timing. How many of you have ever been caught saying, this is the year, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to, and it doesn't. And maybe the next year, I mean, this is my life as a Cubs fan. Maybe the next year, you know, and you're caught going, oh, maybe this, I thought it, what, what, and it just breeds a certain reluctance and erodes our confidence. To those who are questioning God's goodness and timing, I want to read Psalm 27. If you have a Bible, you can open it. 
Psalm 27 is an exuberant declaration of faith. And this is David strengthening himself in the Lord. He's preaching to himself. Not to you. You get to listen into it this morning. But David is preaching a sermon to himself. And some of you know, to get back to that place of faith, back to that place of, of confidence, back to that place of assurance, sometimes you need to stop listening to yourself and you need to start talking to yourself. You need to start preaching to yourself. You need to start telling yourself, this is what's going to happen. This is who God is. This is what he's going to do. This is who he's been for me. And this is what this is for David. He'd seen a lot of trouble, a lot of failure, a lot of injury. He had a lot of reasons to question the goodness of God and the timing. And this is how he stirs himself up in the faith. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Again, he's talking to himself here, and we get to listen in. The Lord is my light, and the Lord is my salvation. I'm not going to be caught trying to save myself. He's my salvation. I'm not going to shrink back. I'm of those who believe and have faith and are saved. He is my light. He is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? A stronghold is a place of safety and refuge. And David is saying here, I'm not going to lose my confidence in coming to you. In fact, I'm going to run to you. I'm going to run to you because you are a refuge for me. You're a strong tower. You're something that I can run into. And for some of us, because of our failure, because of our injury, because of our, our doubts or questioning of his goodness and timing, we've lost our confidence to come before him. And David is saying, I don't just come to him, I run to him. He is my refuge. I've not stopped coming to him. Ephesians 3 says that we can approach God with freedom and confidence. I love that. We can come confidently and there's also freedom. We don't have to come like carefully on eggshells. No, we we come before him with freedom. Freedom and confidence because he paid a dear price so that we could come right in. Hebrews 4, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy. No, no, no. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Please, every week you come here and it's like, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And it's like, no, 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 I've lost my confidence to come to him. I'm saying to you, you can run to him. You can run to him. He's a refuge, a stronghold, a place of safety for you. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Listen to the confidence. It's not like, well, maybe if I do it like this, then this might be, and this would be a possibility. If it be thy will, Lord, it's like, no, this, then this. And this is what's going to happen. And this is going to, he's just preaching himself back into the faith. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear the war break out against me. Even then I will be confident, though a war freaking break out against me. Even then I will be confident. I'm not going to throw away my confidence. One thing I ask from the Lord, says David, and he doesn't stop asking. For some of us, we've questioned God's goodness, we've questioned his timing, and now we've stopped 
asking. But David doesn't stop asking. He keeps asking and he keeps knocking. Trusting that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he'll do. This only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. He'll give me something firm to put my feet on. He will pluck me out and he will set me up. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves when we're in the thick of it. He will pluck me out and he will set me up. And that's what David's doing here. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Don't hide your face from me and do not turn your servant away in anger. This is just so audacious. Don't you turn your face from me. Don't turn away. I mean, I don't know what his tone was like, but it's like, don't turn away from me. Don't disappoint me now. Don't. You're not a man that you should lie. You are who you say you are. Don't turn your face from me. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Talk about chipping away at your confidence when you've been rejected by the two people that should love you the most. Talk about breeding a reluctance in a person. Though my father and mother forsake me, though the two people who should receive you reject you, he says the Lord, but it's not going to change my confidence that the Lord will receive me. Some of you have been rejected and it's shaken your confidence that the Lord will receive you. Hear the word of the Lord. Even though you've been rejected by the people who should love you most, the Lord will receive you. You can be confident in this. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. Anybody been there before? You ever had a critic? You ever tried to do something good and then been falsely accused? Talk about breeding reluctance and timidity. It's like, fine, I'm not going to show up. I do this and then I get this. Are you kidding me? Anybody been falsely accused? False witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusation. But I remain confident. I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of God. Though false accusations are coming my way, I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of God when I get to heaven. And when Jesus tells that guy, that's not what I said. And then he knows, like, those were false accusations. No. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Some of you have lost your confidence in the goodness of God because of the circumstances you're facing. And it's time to rise up in faith and say, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. God is good and I have not been excluded from his goodness. And for those of you who are struggling with God's timing, 
I love what David says to himself. Wait for the Lord. Again, he's talking to himself. Not listening to himself. He's talking to the Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Take heart. Be strong. Take heart. Be strong. Take heart. Be strong. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. For those of you who've been waiting for a really long time, take heart. Be strong. Wait for the Lord. Those that trust in him will not be put to shame. You'll be not be embarrassed when you're caught counting on him. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded.